Hebrews chapter 11. And this book is uh, unique in that there's a extreme expansion of the entire Jewish practice of the priesthood, particularly with the tabernacle and the temple and all the furniture there, the symbolism, but much more than that, how it all points to the Lord Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of everything that we desire. He is the desire of all age. He is our help, very present help in trouble. And to show his superiority, the book of Hebrews was written in contrast to the, not only priesthood, but the prophets and the tabernacle and the temple. How God is, in Christ, the God-man superior to everything. And that everything was a shadow, just a shadow, even though they lived it. We can live life today, and we're in time and in space they're concrete things, tangible things we handle. We take the car keys, we take um, books in our hands, we have groceries, we make phone calls. We're conscious, we're alert. We're able to see nature. We have our senses and whatever capacity we have, we know we're alive. But this even is a shadow of things to come. It's not that it's not real, but compared to what will come, it's a mere shadow. And it's all a prelude. Even us gathering together to have this time of worship and to look to the Lord for His Word, His manna. There's a time coming when we will sit down with Jesus Christ. We will sit down with the patriarchs. We will sit down with the Lord and we'll enjoy His fellowship, unbroken communion full glory, we shall see him as he is. That day is coming, and so everything we experience today is a mere shadow also. Faith is something that we need to have, and especially when the enemy comes and tries to attack us in our minds. There's a spirit of fear. There are evil spirits behind doubt evil spirits of suspicion, evil spirits to cause division, to come in the midst of a family and begin to separate people, the spiritual family. They're evil spirits. They're being dispatched all the time. God is on our side. And God says, so long as we look to Him and we're in His Word, meaning we humbly open our heart to receive, we take the time to come to His feet, and say, Lord, I need you to speak to me. If you don't speak to me, Lord, I die. I live by your word. I need to hear from you. And we take time to pray with all our hearts that God change us to be more like him. This is the way the Lord strengthens us and protects us. The helmet of salvation, which is written as the armor to protect our minds is only effective if we read the word for dear life and pray to the Lord as the priority every day speaking to him if the Lord is not my best friend I'm in deep trouble 
not enough to say I'm having him as my best friend, but I need to show it by actually wanting to spend more time with him and seeking his company more than any other person. Hebrews chapter 11, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. We went in detail over this, that God gives us examples in Hebrews 11 to show that no matter what station in life we find ourselves, we can overcome. Hallelujah. That fierce dragon in Revelation, this great red dragon, is slain by the Son of God and all those who trust in Jesus Christ, who have faith in Him, in His Word, in His promise, against what they feel, what they see. There's a transcendence, there's a transport into the heavenly realm where we're able to actually be like the eagles, fly high above the situation. They that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. There's an ascension. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. A thousand may fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not come near me. Faith speaks like that. Because I believe, therefore I speak, the Bible says. And this is why the people who have gone before us mentioned in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, they had a witness by God, a testimony by God, that they were good, righteous, faithful. We spoke in detail about how faith is required to believe that God created the universe and at the same time believe that God can meet my need immediately where I am. He's a God of eternity. We looked at Enoch. After we looked at Abel. We looked at Noah. We saw how these people, in a time when there was murder, violence, immorality, all kinds of perversions, they knew how to keep themselves. Noah didn't have support groups. He didn't have all kinds of stuff that we have access to today. But even though some estimate not only hundreds of thousands of people, but maybe millions at the time of Noah, he kept himself reserved for God's glory. That's why he found favor. Favor is not an arbitrary thing that comes to us. There's a cause. It's true, it's the mercy of God that causes him to bestow favor. But there's also a response that he looks for, where much favor is granted to the one who is loyal to him. Because Enoch had a pleasing testimony he had his own personal rapture, literal rapture. He disappeared from the face of the earth. He was 
taken by God personally. Gloriously transported. Because Abel had faith, he offered a better sacrifice to God. He didn't hold back and hold out. He didn't give something cheap like Cain did. He bought, he bought, brought, that is, the first of his flocks. The best. Cain just brought something from the field. God sees. He takes very careful note. Remember the widow. He was, uh, she was spotlighted. Put in a spotlight by Jesus himself as a lesson for all of us forever. All of the people came and that too, this was a woman. Poor woman. A widow. The Lord said, the two mites that she's put in is more than what all of them put in. And the ones that were there were all big people. Many of them. These were the wealthy people. The people who had uh, a lot of positions in their society. But it says in Luke 21, 2, And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in two mites. It was a poor widow. In contrast to these great men, quote-unquote, who brought maybe thousands of dollars, she brought couple of small copper coins. Maybe a couple of pennies or less than that. Look at how the Lord sees. The reason she came with everything she had, and that's what the Lord said, truly I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. What a statement. What a an acknowledgement a real woman in a very difficult situation came to give all that she had not simply to the temple treasury but to God there was a communion with God that she had she had faith and that's the point she had faith enough to treat God as God deserves God doesn't look at the value person to person the way human beings do. But he looks at the heart and whether something came out of sacrifice. It's safe to say the only thing that can please God and get his attention is an offering of ourselves that costs something. Otherwise, it's a common thing. Just like we would reserve something special for someone we love and cherish. We would do something beyond what we would do for other people. How much more the living God? And out of the millions of people, a poor widow was noticed by the God of the universe sitting with his disciples and bringing attention to that poor widow 
so that everyone can see what kind of offering God accepts. And she had faith. She didn't have faith. She may not even have been there, let alone bring all that she had. Certainly this woman, although she's not highlighted in Hebrews 11, not even her name is known, she had a pleasing testimony before God. And in Hebrews, there's a mention that there's not enough time to mention all the people. And certainly this woman could be among those. Faith will not only help us to see a miracle before it happens, not only ask God for it and thank God for it, but it also causes us to come to God in the kind of worshipful attitude that God deserves. That comes to God not only with feelings and words, but with action, with self-sacrifice. But who can ever bring a sacrifice to God without separating from the world? It's no use coming to God and saying, Lord, I made a thousand dollars this week, and here, Lord, look at me. I'm bringing one hundred dollars, a tenth, just like it was prescribed in the Bible, the Old Testament. And so we continue. Lord, you should be happy with me. I brought a hundred dollars out of a thousand. Or Lord, I gave you one hour out of twenty-four hours. But what's the quality of that with reference to or with regards to sacrifice? What did it cost me? We don't like it when we are able to sift through people's motives. When uh, things show up or turn up and we recognize, you know what? That gift that I received from that person, I thought it really cost them a lot, but it happens so that it's really something that they had was a leftover. It was a hand-me-down. It became a handout to me. It was something that really didn't cost them anything much. And so it doesn't really mean a whole lot like I thought it did. How we would be upset with fellow human beings once we learned that what they professed or portrayed was not really the case. It was, after all, one among many. It's a common thing. It was a cheap thing. But how different it is when even something that's not of so much value by this world standards or man's standards, it costs a lot for a person. For example, a person may make something to give to someone to celebrate their birthday or anniversary or some special occasion. And the materials that went into it, although they may be good materials, may not have cost much. But the time and labor and the sacrifice and the attention, the strain of every nerve and ligament and the powers of the vision that they exercise and all those things under hardship to produce an object that other people may say, well, we can get something better than this in the store. But the value of it shows up when we see 
how much you cost the person. You know why that person did such and such a thing? Even when nobody was looking? Because there was a love. There was a trust. There was a loyalty. There was a belief that the person I'm doing this for is really worth a lot. There's a faith. And that motivates the person to go and do that. Hopefully that's the motivation. And seldom do you find someone going all out for something that's not worth or someone that they don't think is worthy. Abel came to God with such a sacrifice that he brought the best, even though he didn't have the law at that time, even though he wasn't necessarily coached by his parents, he had a fear of God and a love of God and a worshipful heart. He brought the best. He brought the first of his flocks. Cain was also going to church. He was also part of the Christian clubs. He was also part of the evangelical movement. But he didn't really care to give God the best. He just kind of did the checklist. Enoch, in his day, had a communion with God. He's talking to God on a regular basis. And the nature and quality of his talk with God was obedience when God spoke. Noah, the same thing. Genesis is written, and everything that God commanded, Noah did. Even when it seemed hard, even when it seemed impossible. When it wasn't easy, it was not popular, he was getting a lot of hatred because he chose a path that was unique. He didn't mix in with the religious people. But he stood his ground and he held fast to the word of the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, we have a number of people that are highlighted in which we, as we look at our own lives, we have examples, role models. We can look at Abel and say, is my life like Abel's? Who, even though he's dead, he's still speaking. God testifying of his gifts. We have a role model in Enoch, these types of Christ, who please God. How could a man please God? And how come God doesn't say that he didn't please me here and there? But his uh, assessment of Enoch's life is he had a testimony that he pleased God. We need to gather around us people that are successful. As I've said before, not only in the life training school, but in some of our other meetings, when somebody wants to be a champion golfer, Normally, he would look to the champions in their particular sport. When somebody wants to be an all-star NBA player, he's not going to be hanging around with the kids on the street. 
but he's going to seek out special coaching, special training. He's going to try as fast as possible to mix with the elite. When somebody wants to grow spiritually, you don't look at failures and hang around failures in the sense that we don't look down on people, but those who are not interested in pleasing God genuinely, what fellowship do we have with them? We'll be dragged down. You see, we're not talking about someone who's growing, trying hard, and they're doing everything, their power, and the enemy is attacking them, but they're pushing through. There's a gain being made. And when they're corrected, they're listening, and they're growing. And they're willing to be chastened by God. And they come to the point in their lives that they say, Lord, one thing I can't live without is your word, your instruction. Your presence, Lord. I need your presence more than anything else. I've come to that point. We can hang around those people. Even if they're struggling in certain areas, you see that they're fighting the good fight of faith. How? By being in the Word and praying and fighting to do the right thing. But to those who are casual, if we hang around those people, we will for sure become a casualty. That's the way it is. The world, world says birds of a feather flock together. Show me who your friends are. I'll show you what type of person you are. It's so true. Now, they didn't make it up themselves. They got it from the Word of God, from the truth. Not, they were look, not that they were looking in the Bible, but God in His grace disseminates truth to peoples of the world. And we know. God is the one who said, don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good manners or good behavior, good morals. God says, don't be tricked. Who you hang out with will affect you. We don't look down on people who are beginning in the faith, but we ought to stay far away from people, according to the Bible, the Spirit of God speaking through Paul to Timothy, the young pastor, and to all of us. Stay away from people who like to live professing a cheap version of grace that gives them a lot of latitude to do their own thing. To be in Bible school, in church, with a nasty temper, vengeful feelings, and jealousy. And then smiling and saying, God bless you, and everything's fake. And then something happens that exposes them, and they say, well, after all, I'm human. God understands. Anyone have grace for me? If anyone should come along and say, you need to go to God and ask forgiveness because he sees your heart. He does love you, but he can't tolerate hypocrisy. Let this be a moment where you decide never to be a hypocrite again. So help me, God. That's the kind of teaching the scripture has. That we need to guard our own soul. Jesus said, what can you give in exchange for your soul? If my faith is to be protected... I need to 
be careful. I don't hang out with people who doubt God. Somebody says, but I don't hang out with people who doubt God. They're worshiping God all the time and speaking positive things. But doubt is another word for unbelief. Somebody may say, well, I'm around believers. They believe, believe me, they believe in God. Believe you me. They worship God. They love God. Um, I see them read the Bible, Bible studies. A lot of things are going on. But as we have learned in these studies, when somebody is soft on sin in their own lives, they really don't believe. No matter what they say, their actions show they don't have faith. Because if they really believe God, their genuine fear of God will be there. They won't be so flippant about things pertaining to God. They'll be sober. They'll be in reverence of God's holy name. And they'll make sure that they preach the truth as it is while they live the truth. Now, look at an army the sergeant, the lieutenant, or the, gov- the uh, general, whoever it is, whatever ranks they have in various armies of the world, or a good coach for that matter, a good teacher, such as, uh, as part of my profession, basketball also. You see students, you see the one that's causing distractions. What do you do? You separate that one from the crowd. Why? Because that person is bound to affect the others. And you may try to reintroduce that one after some one-on-one sessions to sober that person up, that student. Let them know of the consequences. That they can no longer stay in this classroom if they continue their behavior. But at the same time, show grace that if they do want to change, We can reintroduce them to the rest of the class and to those kids who are doing well so that that can rub off on this student, hopefully. How much more the living God? God loves everyone. He's equal opportunity. But the ones who reject His grace, He will not only withdraw from them, He will make a point of separating them from the rest and even make an example of them. We see that all over Scripture. Not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. I don't see, the more I read the Word of God, I'm afraid of God more than ever, in a good way. Because He's so noble and so kind and so patient. But when the time is up, He's rather swift in His judgment. And that's the way he maintains order in the universe and keeps his children safe, the ones who really love him. Because a one rotten apple can spoil the whole bunch. It's really true. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. What happens if I start feeling soft and sorry for the person that's used by the devil to destroy me? Not only will I become an accomplice, I'll be destroyed myself. It's a very fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's a quote from the New Testament, not the Old. 
if I have such a reverence for God and fear of God, it's only going to come through genuine faith. Many people say they have faith in the Christian world, in the evangelical world, and let's narrow it down even further. From Christendom, the world of Christianity, all who say they're Christian, they can be anything. All various persuasions. They can be your witness. They can be Mormons. Many people profess to be Christians. But the gospel they follow is far different from the true gospel. Because they don't believe Jesus is God. And they have other things they worship in addition to Jesus, if they do include Jesus. A very different faith, really not faith at all. But within Christendom, there are many people who say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I have faith. Look at the cross around my neck or look at the things I do, the charity work I do, and I do read the Bible, and I do have faith. I do go to church. Within that group, you can narrow down to another group called the evangelical community, which typically is defined as uh, those who hold to the historic Christian faith and believe in believe in uh, spreading the good news. Among them, there are many people who don't really believe because their actions are far different than what they speak. They have secret lives. There's immorality. They have skeletons in their closets. All such things are harbored very neatly and very compactly, very professionally, while behaving as the best Christians when they're with Christians. Trying to anyway. And there's another group that we can narrow down to from the evangelical community. We can call these people, the people who call themselves spirit-filled. They may be part of a Pentecostal group, charismatic group. People who just believe, I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I've got it. Among that group, there may be hypocrites. God knows exactly who they are because they have secret lives. They're people that are chameleon Christians. Chameleon is a creature, as we know, who adapts to the surroundings, but more than that, camouflages with the surroundings, or within the surroundings. Judas was such a person, Saul was such a person, Ahithophel, Hermogenes, Philetus, Hymenaeus, whole bunch of people, Old and New Testament, Many people in Israel. What God did was he was watching and watching and watching. He said, the time has come. These people have faith because their lives are godly. These people, no matter what they've said, what they've done in my name, ungodly, rejected. Because they don't obey me, they don't fear me. The pleasing testimony surely means that Enoch feared God, Abel feared God, Noah feared God. 
We've read as much in Hebrews 11.7 last time. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. He sprung into action to do what God told him to do. Not do what he wanted to do. Some people, they get a feeling that God's about to do something or he's on the move. Let's start this group. Let's do that. Let's march around this place. Let's have this. And there's a lot of activity going on. But the problem is God is not there. How do we know? Nobody's living any holier. In fact, the opposite is going on. It's a show. Let's keep the show going. Orthodox doctrine, useless if obedience is not there. Pentecostal, spirit-filled, charismatic, useless before God unless there's reverent fear of God that makes us to obey His commandments. The goats and sheep are recognized by Jesus Christ by their actions, the way they actually live. Matthew 25. And he divides them. He accepts one group. He completely rejects the other. Ten virgins. Five wise. Five foolish. Five of them got shut out. Five were invited in. They were taken along the procession. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Where? Not on the street to play in a band. But there's a procession going into heaven. Lord, how I want to be in that number. When the saints go marching in. There will be people who try to jump on that plane. Jump on that train. They won't be able to. Because they don't have a ticket. They were holding on to something else. It wasn't the genuine article. So when they came to present the ticket, they were rejected because it was not the ticket issued. God gives the ticket. Faith. By grace. Grace through faith. The gift of faith has to humbly exercise and say, I believe you, Lord. You called me not to aspire to be somebody in this world so that I can get something. I can shine all by myself, for myself. Christianity, I mentioned this before, how sad. There's a co-worker years ago. He spoke the Christian language. He talked about some of the books he's reading, popular Christian books. And he was a mortician. And he had a funeral home. And what he did was, he told me the churches he would go into. And he said, I do services too. And he said, when I go there, he said, I make friends with people and I find out how I can get more business. This individual I've spoken to over the years and I told him the gospel. And I told him about the fear of God and judgment. But he wasn't really interested. 
there's a horrible calcification of the heart that happens. A person can be a monster no matter how much God wants. Unlike Noah, they're not moved to do anything for God. But they go to God to use God because they want to find somebody to live with. They want a better position. They want to use their skills and talents. We've heard by the Holy Spirit in these meetings. Pastor has spoken about it also. God's not interested in our talents as much as our hearts. Whether we obey Him and are faithful in the little things and in the big things. When we come to God honestly, humbly, in His love, with holy hands and holy hearts, He can do great things through us because the Holy Spirit will have nothing to hinder Him. Miracles will happen. People who are backslidden for years in the churches, deacons and elders and pastors, prophetesses and what have you, all of a sudden through you, because you have genuine faith which causes you to fear God, which causes you to obey God like Noah, are a clear vessel for the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through. And instead of a lot of shouting and jumping and dancing and self-promotion and goosebumps and encouraging one another, with a kind of pep talk and coaching each other, the real thing will flow. And people will begin to do what? Cry out to God for mercy and repent. Let that be the test, as it was in Noah's day, of our genuine faith. Whether we have that kind of effect on our family, on our friends, on our Christian friends, even on pastors. If you happen to go to churches where the pastors themselves are professional artists, who don't really have mercy, really not interested in teaching people how to be holy, more about being happy than being holy. God does want us to be happy, definitely. And though people are differentiated between joy and happiness, it's a matter of personal preference, I believe, to inject into the words the definitions we desire. God does want us to be happy. Happy is the man who has the God of Jacob for his refuge or his God. God wants us to be happy. To be blessed is to be happy. But there's no true happiness without holiness. So the foundation has to be laid. That's what the Lord does in Hebrews 11. That faith is a holy faith. But faith in this world is a mind over matter And you can be whatever you want to be so long as you put your mind to it. They, they can't stop you. You're a woman in a man's world. Believe in yourself and you can be anything you want to be. No man can stop you. You're a child who is classified as an underachiever coming from a family and a race of underachievers. Believe in yourself. Nobody can stop you. It's not bad at all. It's good to overcome obstacles 
that are coming from negative forces to prevent us from realizing our full potential. But it is bad and evil and wrong to teach people that anything is possible if you believe in yourself. That's a lie. A man can't save himself. A woman can't save herself. A child can't save himself or herself from hell. From going after or being deceived by the devil. The smartest person on earth is easy lunch for the devil. He knows exactly how to trip the smartest person in the world. The most powerful person in the world. The most popular person in the world. The most talented person in the world is no match for the devil. But when a person chooses to believe in Jesus Christ, have genuine faith, heaven will move on that person's behalf to destroy every obstacle the devil brings their way. Hallelujah. So the faith is one that pleases God, one that has the fear of God. It's a holy faith. It's a faith that goes beyond natural faith because it's a supernatural faith that brings heaven to us and makes a way to heaven for us. It's the kind of faith that causes me to have such an impact on my neighbor, whether the neighbor is a spouse or other relative or neighborhood friends, co-workers, colleagues, even Christian friends and even clergy or pastors who because of you having genuine faith as described in, he- described in Hebrews 11, all of a sudden are pricked in their conscience as they were when the Apostle Peter preached the gospel by the Holy Spirit. They begin to say, I'm messed up. I've hung around many Christians, many Christian leaders, and we've had a great time fellowshipping in the Lord. But when I get near you, the mask comes off. Even a mask that I didn't know I had. And I need to get right with God. Nothing matters. What a wonderful thing to be a Noah, an Enoch, and an Abel in our generation. Now granted, seven people listened to Noah. The scope of the revival in Noah's day included seven people. It happened to be his own relatives. His wife, three sons, and the three daughters-in-law. The rest of the crowd refused. But Noah did his job. And it wasn't something that he worked up. He was living the life. So the Spirit of God moved him and worked through him freely. We come to verse 8 today as we just read a little longer before we close. The man called the father of faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. 
God has great things in store for each of us. But he says you've got to move from where you are to where I want you to be to get that inheritance. If you don't move, it's not going to come to you. Life training school, now Bible school, we've learned. As the Spirit of God gave it to me, I didn't look anywhere or get any syllabus. But it was on the spot, actually. As we were going through the life of Abraham, God gave those three words that became foundational for our studies, foundational for our lives. Can someone please, who is in the life training school, or has heard it repeated here, mention for us the three qualities necessary that Abraham embarked upon when God first came to him? I know what they are. I'd like to give an opportunity to share it. Praise God, Pastor. Uh, separation, consecration, and sanctification. The third one was actually another one. Surrender, Pastor. Actually, the P. Perseverance. Perseverance. Thank you. Perseverance, yes. Sanctification and surrender, absolutely. But it's something that happens when we first of all separate from that which is not a faith. Not the kind of faith the Bible talks of. As we outline, many people can talk about faith. Not just faiths of other religions, but within Christendom, evangelical Christianity, even spirit-filled so-called Christian people. A genuine faith will manifest in a holy life because it's a holy faith. A pleasing testimony before God. And in effect, because of that presence of the real thing, it's bound to touch other people. Whether they receive it or not is on them. But they're going to know this is what real faith looks like. Action follows, which is fearing God, obeying God. Pursuing God. But it happens when I separate from that which is not the real thing. Because if I hang around that which is not the real thing, I'm going to be stuck with the fake thing. I will never get the inheritance from God. I may even backslide and never make it to heaven. That's the truth. Because be not deceived. Good manners are corrupted by evil company. Evil company corrupts good character. That means a person can be good, actually born again, on fire for God, used by God, like Samson, up to a point, begin to take things for granted and become casual and hang out with the wrong crowd, start going down without even knowing it. It could be a person like Aaron, the first high priest. Highly favored. What a privilege. Decked out with everything, with the holy garments, the special stones to commemorate each tribe of Israel. All these things, the mitre on his head. The authority God gave that man. Moses went up to receive the law and what happens? He begins to cave in to the crowd. 
Well, they're believers too. Didn't God say these are con- this is the congregation of God? We all came out of Egypt. We're believers. When he says, when he, uh, when he saw that the people were backsliding, he should have separated himself. But he hung around. And he began to backslide himself. He could have died right there. God had mercy on him. God doesn't care who it is. Somebody presumes upon God's grace. They could very well get to a point of no return. We just don't know when that is. That's the nature of sin and becoming casual with God. There's got to be a fear of God that will protect us. Separation from people who are playing games with God. What happened with Moses, we know. He called the the people. Who's on the Lord's side, come here. And the Levites came. Then there was a slaughter there that day. God made a division right there. Right then and there. Of people who really obeyed him and those who disobeyed. And so it's true today. There's a cutoff point. We're called to be afraid of God because he's holy in a good way, in a healthy way. Because he will act. God is not aloof somewhere as the deists believe. He just winds up things and he watches it continue without any interference. No. He's a loving God. He cares about his creation, especially man who's made in his image, especially the believer the one who's bought by his own blood, Jesus' blood. Now, after he's done all of that, we saw in Hebrews 10, if a person hangs out with people at Starbucks, laughs about witchcraft and good witches and bad witches and horoscopes, and while they talk about the worship bands and Michael W. Smith and whoever is out there today, and the Bible studies, and how cool the secular bands are and the late show talk personality is a complete mixture of that which God hates. Don't you know friendship with the world is enmity toward God? God said in the book of James. But it's very casual. Look, the pastor, he watches the late show and he gets to chuckle out of those jokes about those People are moral and he reads the latest books and he reads all the newspapers. He's informed. The problem is he's popular with the world and people who are backslidden. But before God, he's an abomination. Because rather than spend time with God, he wants to get all the information to see if he can be an excellent preacher for the people. Separation from the world is the foundation of faith in a very real sense. Consecration of oneself to God is an evidence of genuine faith. Perseverance shows that faith is still alive. How can we ever get these things unless we're told the truth? 
We have a heart to humble ourselves. Though we didn't study Noah, Enoch, and Abel in detail, they definitely had these qualities. Otherwise, they couldn't worship God as God. They couldn't bring the best to God. They couldn't walk with God when everybody else was not. They separated themselves. Did they leave earth and go to Mars? Did they leave the city and go to a monastery? No, that's not God's way. Jesus was with the people. He got his hands dirty, helping the dirty people. He condescended. He loved the people. But the dirt that came on him never got into him. He took our sins upon himself, became sin, a curse. But he was not a sinner. That's how we're called to be. Protect ourselves, our minds, our bodies, our souls from contamination. We cry with those who cry. But we also know how to spot crocodile tears. There's an intolerance for hypocrisy, not because we condemn people, because the Spirit of God within us is zealous for the truth. We don't play along in the name of love. When somebody defies the truth and hates God, they say so by their actions, no matter what they say with their lips. We're not only afraid for them, we separate from them. Because they don't listen to warnings. But the one who hears warnings, like in Ezekiel's day, we rejoice. Because we turn the soul from going to death back to life. There's a separation God will show us. We have to follow Him. Even if people hate us. Even so-called Christian people. There's a consecration. You know what? Don't text me that about that TV show anymore, please. Because God has shown me that I'm supposed to live holy and that's what I want to do. Oh, you think you're better than us? Look at this one. And there were a whole bunch of people saying, listen, don't be so legalistic, okay? We're all holy. Guess who said that? Byram, Dathan, and Korah in the Old Testament. Who does Moses think he is after all? What? He's the only prophet and he's the only holy person. He's the only guy that knows God and hears God. We all hear God. We're all holy. God said, Moses, tell those people, a couple of hundred of them, to come. And you go. And I'll show them who's holy and who's not. That day the earth opened up quite literally and swallowed them alive. That's the attitude of your common Christian who really doesn't have faith who charges those who are really walking with God and want to get closer to God, want to live holy and godly with a holy-than-now attitude, legalistic, condemning, all kinds of things. They call the Lord Jesus a devil. Jesus said, don't be surprised if they call you the same thing. Genuine faith 
will face persecution. It will not be popular. That too, among the church, genuine faith will cause a person to have a greater awareness of the consecration required to make it to heaven. And there will be changes. All of a sudden, the stuff on my phone, I have to start deleting. All of a sudden, the text that I'm getting from certain, certain people, even Christian ministers, I have to distance myself from. Why? They're not really interested in being holy. They're interested in being happy. The more, the merrier. Come on, let's have, there's a concert over there, a Christian concert. Wasn't that great? How did you feel? Awesome. How was the pizza? Awesome. How was the weather? Awesome. How's God? Awesome. How's your life? Awesome. Are you walking holy? No. Only God is holy. Don't you know that? Any holiness I have is derived from the man who died on the cross, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if I should lie, if I should smile in church and will want to choke somebody at the same time, if I should hold grudges against my fellow Christian, if I should entertain immorality, if I should watch things I shouldn't watch, God understands. But I do believe, oh, I believe. I don't believe in three, four, five hundred gods. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. Look at the cross on my neck. Look at what I'm wearing. Look at the books I'm carrying. Look how many Bibles I have. I've ministered all over the place. I'm a leader. I'm an intern. I'm a pastor. God understands. I have weaknesses. His strength has made perfect my weakness. What's your weakness? I lust. What's your weakness? curse now and then what's your weakness I lie sometimes what's your weakness I get jealous what's your weakness I wish I could kill some people sometime I mean if you want to know the truth I can fake it and tell you I love everybody but it's not the truth that's weakness in the midst of which God's strength is made perfect? That's exactly the false faith that the devil has injected into people who are not interested in a definite, genuine separation from that which God hates and a total consecration of their spirit, soul, and body to God and the perseverance to follow through until the very end. Determination obey God's voice no matter what these men including Abraham exhibited those three qualities by faith Abraham what's the first thing he did he separated himself from the company that was not going to guarantee any future for him any inheritance steeped in idolatry little children John says to the churches to believers even today the Holy Spirit speaking through John at the very end of the Bible far removed from Abraham 
some 21 centuries removed from Abraham, the Holy Spirit speaks through the Apostle John to his church of the day, the church of his day, and to us, the churches, the believers. What does he say? He says, don't have anything to do with idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That means believers today can be steeped in idolatry while being in the evangelical community, even the spiritual churches. Number one, do we know that is possible? Number two, do we know how to spot that? First of all, within ourselves, to make sure we don't have any part of it. Then to spot it in others, not to condemn or to judge, but let the Word of God judge what's right and wrong, and then make a decision to separate from that which is wrong. Should we pray for people and help them and warn them? Absolutely, if we love them. But if they refuse and they have reasons, excuses, and they put down God and His truth and label us as legalistic and all kinds of satanic things when it's not true, we need to take that as a clear warning. Get away. Don't walk, but run from that like the plague. This is what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy have nothing to do with them. You warn them once. You warn them as many times as God says. They don't want it. In the name of love for God, don't succumb to the satanic humanistic love which is not from God, which is meant to play with one's feelings to drag us down to hell. Abraham had strong feelings, I'm sure, for his family. He lived there all his life. Generations, probably. He says, I'm leaving. I'm going to where God wants me to go to. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder makers God. As you mentioned in the Bible school, there's a progress you see. Not only did he separate, he began to consecrate himself. That's the only way he can look for a city. The God is the builder of. And he certainly was determined to persevere. That's the only way he's going to make it. Because it's written that they had an opportunity to go back if they wanted to. We saw that visually, geographically. When he got to Haran, he could have went back. When he got to Pasphyria, into northern Israel, right there at Shechem, he could have said, you know what, I'm going back up north, back east. Let me backtrack a little bit. Maybe I can settle down not too far from Haran. I may not go all the way back to Mesopotamia, but that is uh, to Ur of the Chaldees, but I'll stick around Haran. No, he kept going forward because he was consecrated and he began to persevere. May the Lord help us to receive what the Spirit of God wants us to and say, Lord, you're so beautiful. You're the best, Lord. You're everything to me. Your life, apart from you, I know I have only death. Death on every level. I can fake it like I'm living, I'm happy, but I'm the most miserable person, Lord. 
I need you, Lord. Lord, one thing I can't live without is your holy presence. And I know I've got to have faith, genuine faith, marked by separation, consecration, and perseverance. Determined to obey you all the way. Every word you say, Lord, my life depends upon it. This is the faith that the elders obtained a good testimony for. And I want to be part of this, Lord. Shall we pray? Father, thank you, Lord, for helping us. Thank you, Lord, for defining, Lord, once again. What a person who has real faith looks like. What they do, what their choices are. What a backslider looks like. And what one who's an apostate looks like. Oh, Lord, help us have genuine fear. Lord, you called us to be responsible first and foremost for our own souls. We've got to make it to heaven. In these last days, when people are drinking poison, heresy, false interpretations, twists of the truth, lots of smiles and fake camaraderie, when there's really no compassion to tell the truth as as it is, no concern if the people are living holy or not. It's more about numbers community rather than fellowship with you first and foremost. To walk in the light as you are in the light is the true fellowship with you, Lord. And then and only then can we have fellowship with one another through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the great things you have planned for each of us. You have a hope and future guaranteed for every believer. It's real faith. And thank you, Lord, for calling us out of the world. Many believers we don't even know all over the world who are on fire for you, Lord. And the fire is defined by you in the scriptures. First and foremost, by holiness, holy living. Separation from this disgusting world which is abomination to you. Lord, as you brought the scripture to me yesterday, that which is highly esteemed by men, by people, is an abomination before God. Help us to know what things disgust you. What things make you want to vomit out people, Lord, who come to you. Inasmuch as you said, the land itself will vomit you out. To your own people you said that. If you do the things the people of the land do, God help us to separate fully from the nature and the habits and the mindset of this wicked world. And to be a holy people, part of your remnant, Lord, all over the world, ready to meet you. Oh God, I thank you for the fellowship of the saints as a holy fellowship to encourage one another as we see the day approaching, to assemble ourselves together and to warn one another to be ready. Lord, I thank you that you have given us time. We don't know how long each of us has, but we know the time that you've given us, Lord, we'll have to give an account for it. Of how many souls we brought to you by our holy living, by our righteous preaching, by the love 
and the fear of God and the love for people. I thank you, Lord. This day I pray, help us to get even closer to you, Lord, this day, even closer to the Lord, to know exactly where we stand, Lord, and to make progress by your grace and mercy, to say, Lord, I'm going to take all the grace you give me, all the mercy, all the opportunity to learn what it means to please you. I've got to do this more than anything else. I've got to have your presence, Lord, more than anything else I can desire. And you said, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Give us holy desires, O Lord. Help us be done with sin, Lord, to hate it, Lord, presumptuous sin, and everything that is displeasing to you. That we may be a holy people here in Bethel, International Ministries Church, and be soul winners, Lord, with mighty revivals. Not, Lord, with smoke and lights and a siren blasting and big uh, promotion. The power of the Holy Spirit to bring the fear of God to the people we live with and minister to. Have the real thing that will please you, Lord. Thank you and praise you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Blessed be the name of